0: We want to do that well in every moment of our lives wherever we are. In Christ we pray. Amen. Um, okay. This uh Christmas season, morning guys, um, is centered around Philippians two, uh this Christmas series is centered around Philippians two, one through eleven, uh, which we will not read again for the length of it. Um but uh, it is a passage that that is sort of like a wonderful image of the humility of Christ and urging us to emulate His model and His humility in this world. Um, so in your own quiet times, last, like, last week I urged this, I urge you again just to center your quiet times in the next coming weeks around this passage maybe and bring in some of the other uh, verses that we, we touch on in these sermons and that would be helpful. Uh, you can also download the sermons... In text or audio, and usually the questions. We don't have questions this week because all the community groups are partying this week. We're all having potlucks and Christmas parties, so no questions. But anyway, so uh, but you can download the sermon and look for other passages that we use, and use that for your own study time. Um, Last week we saw how the humility of Christ led into hope for you and for me and for the rest of the world. uh, In in if his life and his message, the message of Christ, is to be embraced by people. And what follows closely on the heels of hope is obviously uh, peace, right? And isn't peace that for which we all hope for? Not only everybody here in this room, but out there in the world. At the end of the day, that's what we all would like. Now, how we define how we get there is a different story, right? But hope calms the silt of our soul, right? It it allows anxiety and it allows worry to settle to the bottom of life. And hope extracts that fear and that anxiety and all that stuff as peace settles over us. But many of us, what we, if we're honest with ourselves, live our lives sort of like a snow globe, right? You know, shooken up and all. It's just, just like a storm going on inside of us all the time. Anxiety and worry are like an infected wound which needs to be healed. Um, if not addressed, we go through life sort of always protecting ourselves, being afraid somebody's going to bump that injured limb. Always on guard, instead of feeling settled and okay, the storm rages on inside of us and our witnesses hindered and relationships are hindered as well. Peace is the end result of trust and of faith in a gracious God who has all the best for us in mind, for his whole creation in mind, uh, for that matter. Peace is like that thick quilt which Jesus wraps around us uh, of being okay in an otherwise cold and competitive world, an inhospitable world. And as we find humility and hope in Jesus, we find peace. God's kingdom is presented to us as actually a kingdom of peace, the shalom of God, right? One in which death and sin and evil are all conquered and the clamoring and the one-upmanship of pride are sort of a forgotten thing of the past as creations reconciled to Creator, right? You know, goodness and justice reigning forever. It's hard to imagine that. But peace... Like hope, we said last week, must be cognitively engaged and practiced. It must be developed again, like alongside the muscles of humility and hope. First Peter 5, 7 states, Cast all your anxiety. I mean, chuck it, right? Throw it. Cast it. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Now which says to us that we have some control over whether or not we will be peaceful people or not, right? We we have some control. We have some say-so in this process. Whether we want to live in anxiety or bitterness or fear or anger, you know, or, or live in peace. Do we apply His Word to our lives, taking anxiety to God in prayer, allowing Him to crucify that old self which keeps us in bondage? Those are the the, sort of the root questions of life. Do we actually practice this alongside of Jesus? Since, like like we said last week, wanting to be a people of hope, we also want to be a people of peace. Well, at least we say so in theory, right? (laughs) Peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. A result of walking hand in hand with the third person of the Trinity, allowing Him to lead and to speak into our hearts over time, reassuring us of the power and the far-reaching effects of grace on our lives over time. The wonderful counselor sort of left to us God's own spirit injected into our lives Being a peaceful people is a a part of our active spiritual formation process, hand in hand with that Holy Spirit. But we don't want to communicate that uh, a pursuit of peace is just self-serving. That it's just to make me feel better, or you feel better. Right? Not living in an anxious state, although God you know, God does care for us in these ways, right? We, we admit that. We see that in First Peter there. God calls us also to practice peace in relationship with others as well. And He also reveals the benefit of it. If we're not living in peace with Jesus, if I'm not coexisting with Jesus well, I'm not going to be able to really practice peace all that much with others. Maybe intermittently, but not Totally. There are a lot of verses on peace in the Scriptures. Colossians 3.15 states, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as, one member, as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Romans 12.18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, is, is that the way our country lives right now? Right? let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Hebrews 12.14, make every effort, every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So our pursuit of peace in relationship with others is intimately tied to our reflection of God in a lifestyle of holiness. James 3.18 says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Amen. That's a good life, right? (laughs) I could go on and on and on. There are a lot of verses in the Scriptures uh, pregnant with these active verbs calling us to practice a lifestyle of peace. You know, many people yo-yo diet. Vinny and I were talking about this the other night at his house. We yo-yo diet. We lose weight. And then we gain more weight back than what we lost, right? And in the end, yo-yo dieting is actually worse for your health. It actually makes, makes things, you know, it's more damaging. It's not, it's not really dieting we need, and we came to this conclusion, although we don't fully practice it, right? It's not really dieting, dieting that we need, it's lifestyle change. It's, it's a totally different way of living a life. And that is what God calls us to in this area of peace. A lifestyle change from anxiety, from worry, from anger, from bitterness, from fear, and all that kind of stuff, into a settled overall sense of peace in the goodness of God, both in the present and also in the future. Because He's got both in His hands. Past is already the past. Peace was a very common uh, term for New Testament peoples living under the, the, the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana, right? People very familiar with the theory of peace rather than the true practice of it. It was talked about, right, in political circles and whatnot. Since peace under Rome came at a very high cost, very strong cost, that cost was not under the parameters of love relationship, right? Right? but rather of subjugation and control and coercion. You fell in line for threat of punishment. But Jesus is a quiet, hopeful challenge to the perceived divine rule of Caesar at the time who sought to bring peace with sword and a show of might. Jesus takes the opposite route to peace by actually being peaceful. (laughs) Well, that's a novel idea, right? By actually being peaceful, not by lording it over people authoritatively, rather He provides peace for us. It's not hammered out in great halls, terms negotiated, you know, between warring factions behind, you know, behind closed doors with politicians enforced by powerful gener- generals, you know, commanding vast armies to keep us in control. That's not the way of Jesus. Rather, gospel peace is found in a child that grows into a man, the cost of peace paid for us by Jesus Himself sacrificing Himself for our pride and for our sin, paving the way for peace in the world. We don't pay the cost. He does. We went all through that last week. But we must remember though, right? In the call to live in that peaceful state of the Gospel and with others, division will come. Uh, The opposite of peace will come, right? Division will come by the exclusive nature of the gospel that we spoke of last week. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus pulled no punches in revealing that our choice in following him will bring about a not so peaceful reaction from others. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. Sounds contradictory. Right? Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to be, bring peace, but a sword. Oh, what do you, Jason, you got it all wrong, right? And then he continues, For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, it sounds contradictory, but the mature believer will see that it actually is not. We say things at different times for different reasons, right? And In the midst of all the other's other people out there not reacting well to Jesus, we're still called to live in inner peace. We're still called to live at peace with others as much as we can. To act peacefully as much as possible. And the end result will be the establishment of an everlasting peace in Christ. Yet the reality we live in is such that peace will be challenged at almost every turn. In a world which doesn't Think naturally of peace in the first place, nor does it actually have the power or the truth to do so. And we see this quiet inauguration of our humble king in Mark chapter 1. It was in my quiet time this week that I read this, where Jesus submits himself to John the Baptist to be baptized. Would you, wouldn't it be great to be the guy that baptized Jesus? Standing in that river and just like seeing his face come up out of the water, that would be a cool cool day, right? But he submits himself to John the Baptist to be baptized. And upon coming up out of the water, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit and a verbal confirmation from from God the Father as his son with whom he's well pleased, if you remember that story. And then immediately, Jesus is driven out into the desert for 40 days to be tempted towards evil, a temptation to which he never succumbs. Because he was the perfect human being, right? Fully God, fully man, perfect sacrifice, king of kings, lord of lords, inaugurated rather quietly, submissively, and with very little fanfare, if any at all. This is the king that we follow. Humility and hope, walking the way of peace in life, poured into the world through an infant. Peace often comes in very, very small packages. Philippians 2, 7 reveals that. It says, rather, He made Himself nothing. The God of the universe made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Isaiah 9, 6, very familiar Christmas verse. For to us a child is born to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's like this little kid in all these great terms. For peace to come into a scene where turbulence and disruption rule, there's always some sort of power which must be confronted, right? Why does God choose the sledgehammer of humility to defeat foes which power and might cannot. Philippians 2.7 tells us that Jesus made himself nothing. Right? In other words, Jesus made himself so small, so not the center of attention, that he virtually almost disappeared. You know, natural pearls, you know how they're formed, right? When, when an irritant works its way into an oyster or, or a mussel or a clam, and as a defense me- mechanism, a fluid is secreted by that clam or whatever it is um, to coat that foreign object. And layer upon layer of this coating, I think it's called nacre, right, uh, is, is deposited until a pearl is formed. We used to buy them off of little divers in Indonesia. It was really cool. My, my daughters and my wife all have... Jewelry made out of them, right straight from the ocean. It was pretty cool. Uh, Cultured pearls are formed the same way. The only difference being is that that irritant is intentionally introduced by human hand, right? Jesus is, for us, like a quiet irritant that is intentionally injected into the world by the Father. And His teaching and His suffering are all like layers forming this pearl of peace under the pressure of the world around him often the smallest of things bring about the most beautiful results little things mean a lot small is one of the hardest things many of us will ever do right one of the hardest things any any one of us will ever ever do we don't like to think small in america our culture virtually shames us if we don't think big, you know, or we don't work to become known, to make a name for ourselves, make a splash, leave our mark, all that kind of stuff. Some famous personalities out there have made it their singular goal to be very, very memorable, to be talked about, and to be present on the lips of every person in every household in the world. How many Twitter followers do you have? Right? What's her name? Long... Dark hair. was married to Kanye, I think. Yeah, God, oh. You know, like, gosh, I have 50 million followers. Well, wow. oh, I'm sorry. That's so, as Jesus, I pray for her. I had to stop and do that. My wife challenged my, my Bible study to do that. If you're critical of somebody, you've got to stop and pray for them. I do, I pray for her. She is no worse than I am. I know better than I am either. But anyway, but uh, <laughs> Kanye West, I mean, I, I've brought him up a few times. He's got a song titled, I Am a God, right? He's, and he's quoted as saying something to the effect of, if the Bible were written now, I'd be in it. I'm that important. <laughs> i'm sorry i pray for kanye lord jesus i pray for his soul he thinks he says that he's the most prominent voice in the music world that he's the only one with a thought i'm i'm holding back right i just you got to hold back i mean just it's just so silly it's just so silly And Kanye does a great job at talking himself up. He does it all the time. But he's got strong competition in Conor McGregor. Do you know Conor McGregor? Yeah, the boxer. Thank God for the beep sensor, right? He's entertaining to watch, I'll tell you that. I mean, he's fun to watch. But what about this guy, Charlie Sheen? you remember him? Anyway, uh, that is... uh, that's the way of the world. It's just sad. Lord, I pray for Charlie Sheen. I pray, no. I just, man, they are extremes. You know, we admit these, these guys are extremes. But you know what? It happens in church life as well, doesn't it? He just keeps going. It happens in church life as well. Some regard small churches as unsuccessful. You know, as us pastors, we go to these meetings, you know, and the, the big churches are like, you know, Oh, wow, you know, you're huge. Wow, that's pretty cool, right? Um, But they think the small churches is unsuccessful. It may, you know, that it it must not be blessed by the Lord because you're not becoming a mega church, right? Um, But we know that that's not true at 6.8. We know that that's not true. We know that we are blessed and favored. We see so much spiritual growth and, and miracles happening here in our church life. People are are changing at 6'8". Small churches pastor thousands of people a hundred at a time. Oftentimes in an environment that is much more reflective of true spiritual community. And I like that. Most churches in America are 150 people or less. Most churches... And they are pastored and they are led by very passionate people loving Jesus and seeing lives changed along that, that journey. Small things making a big impact, right? It's not about the size of things. It's not about the worldly power of things. It's not about the budget behind things and all that. It's about the heart within. It's about the message of the gospel that is embodied in an individual or in a crowd, right? Right? Let me have an amen on that one. Amen. <laughs> Winning. <laughs> You're the one that said that last week, didn't you? You said, "Joe, I'm gonna." No, I'm just kidding. Um, Rome didn't see Jesus as a threat necessarily. Right? In Luke 23, we see Jesus pass, pass back and forth between Pilate and Herod, you know, neither seeing a basis for a charge against him. They didn't see that he had done anything wrong. He was small. He was insignificant in their large, politically powerful world. And so they ridicule him, and they shame him, and they taunt him, but they don't want to do more than that. And he made no defense for himself. He simply stood peacefully taking what was come for you, to come for you and me. He walked right through it. We are surrounded by people who think very highly of themselves. You know, be the best, conquer your foes, claw your way to the the top of the pack. Be big, right? Be big, make it your name. And those are the messages that we live with in America. It really is. And although we laugh and we think to ourselves that, you know, we are different, are we really? Are we really, aren't we infected by that, right? If we are honest, aren't our concerns more often self-driven than not? Jesus modeled another way to greatness, a different way to greatness, a, a quiet way, a peaceful way. Teresa of Liseau, if I pronounce that correct, correctly, they called her Little Therese, was a Carmelite nun who died at the age of 24 in 1897 after modeling what she called the little way of loving and following Jesus. Just a young girl, right? And, what, and she said, uh, what matters in life are not great deeds, but great love. Not great deeds, but great love. And so for Therese, it was through doing small things, motivated, motivated by great love, um, where the world would be changed for good, right? That was her idea. Her singular life's goal was that her death would begin to fulfill her mission to make God loved by His little ones. Her small mission took root in the early 1900s when a young Albanian nun named, and I'm going to butcher this, because if you could see it written, you wouldn't know how to say it either, but it's Anjezi Gonja Bojaju or something like that, and she chose to take on the name of little Teresa. She followed the same little way of love, and in doing so, she, she ministered peace and reconciliation to tens of, uh, tens of thousands of the world's poor, and we call her mother Teresa. See how you're your model just carries on, right? The sledgehammer of peaceful humility can defeat powerful foes. Really can. Like waves against a rocky cliff making sand over of them over time, right? Sandy beach over time. That is the way of Jesus, whereas the world calls us to wield power, a strong voice, a stern position, wealth, and subjugation, and our votes, and all that kind of stuff, to win the argument. That's what we we're called to do. Get over on your enemy. And Jesus calls us to love our enemy. Be peaceful. In Christ, we find that the, the way of up is actually down. Right? And he overturns our wrong virtues and values and writes them in his upside down kingdom. And eventually we come to see that his kingdom is actually right side up. And we've been living with the blood rushing to our heads our whole lives. That's why we're in such a bad mood all the time. Right? (laughs) A lifestyle change, a lifestyle change. Not yo yo dieting. A matter of spiritual perspective and a matter of spiritual power, as Christ enables us to live such sacrificial, peace-filled lives of hope and of joy. That's attractive. That's wonderful. But it's sacrificial. Little things change a story, right? If you're a lover of books, you'll know that um, one little plot twist can bring about an ending ending in a book that you'd never expect, right? Right? Change one little thing. Choose Your Own Adventure was a series of children's games books in the 1980s and 90s in the U.S., and it, and what made the book so popular was that the reader could choose the direction the story would take. The protagonist would have two or three options available at one point in the book, and, and when this, this, these young readers would choose, you know, a make a choice for their character, which way they would go, the choice led to more choices and all that kind of stuff. And in some cases, there were more than 40 endings to the story. Small changes, like a choice to lay down our self-reliance and to surrender ourselves to Christ-reliance, can shift a life trajectory from being on a path of greater turbulence and greater anxiety and all that stuff to being one of greater peace. Jesus was a plot twist to the Jews. He was a plot twist to humanity as a whole. Peace follows in the wake of this new plot line that Jesus is writing in your life and mine. He changes the story. And little things move big things, don't they? In the story of the Hobbit, the little, we brought this up last week too, but the, the little humble hero Frodo. Right, this little tiny person is spoken of before the council of great leaders, and they say this. They say this is the the hour of the shire folk. That's where the Hobbits live, right? The shire folk, when they arise from their quiet fields to shake the towers and the councils of the great, who of all the wise could have foreseen it? Who would who would write that story? Nobody. In the Fellowship of the Ring, where they're all fighting over the evil ring of power in, in the Elven kingdom, there, and you know who's going to take it on to Mordor to throw it back into the fires with well, what do they say? With once that it came or something like that. But they, they somebody's got to destroy it. They got to throw it back in the fire. And then one guy wants to wield it for, for for power, and they know that they can't, and all that kind of stuff. And as they all scream and they all fight and everything, Frodo just sits there quietly off to the side, a small Hobbit among great giants and leaders and all that kind of stuff, says quietly, I'll take it. I'll take the ring. I'll take the burden. I'll carry it. The smallest, most humble of creatures changes history in that story. And the story goes on to form this metaphor for how a person who has made himself nothing can end up saving the many, the world. You know, at Christmas, we celebrate that humility can bring peace, even when facing mighty enemies where power and might and stature can't. The Christmas story is the story of the humble king who made himself nothing, becoming the peacemaker for all of us. A life worth emulation, a life worth living, a life worth following. So, what small acts by another have changed your entire life for good? Who's, who's injected hope into your soul by the peaceful model of Jesus in this world? Maybe take some time and thank that person. Give them a call, write them a letter, send them an email, or whatever it is. Thank them for being a model of Christ in your life. Since we typically honor the charismatic loudmouth like me, (laughs) right? The charismatic loudmouth. But what about the quiet ones? What about the peaceful ones? What about the introverted ones? I am one to believe that introverts are the greatest leaders in the spiritual life because they don't call attention to themselves. They allow you to talk. The ones who don't press their agenda But rather, they work towards unity, and they think of others. What about those people? Peaceful people don't complain. They're restful. They smile a lot. They don't threaten. They don't grumble. MLK, I've used this before, and I'll use it again, because I just love his model, but he was a peaceful man seeing his goal as liberating both the oppressed and the oppressor. From the sin of racism and all that kind of stuff. I love that. Love it. As a result of his following the gospel of peace, he instructed his demonstrators to sit and not to fight. Oh, that would have been hard for me to do. Waves of love and peace to break apart the walls of racism into soft sand, right? Right? And the shame about it is that some are now saying that obviously it did no good that racism is still alive and well in America. What a shame. Because that discounts the great work that His his peaceful work accomplished. The great strides that His peaceful peaceful work accomplished and still is accomplishing, accomplishing. It's the way to follow. That's the way to truly change things. Great strides were made between races because of that, and He may be the very reason the conversation still goes on at all. Because it started then. Peacemaking is the humble effort at reconciliation, not division. It's the one who reconciles another to God, the Father, and then therefore with others under the umbrella of God's grace. Peace is an inner thing. It's not dependent on outward circumstances. Peace is the sacrifice of the desire to get revenge, of being right, of winning the argument, the hope and the unity and the reign of love in life. That's what peace is. So here's my challenge. Outside of meditating on Philippians 2 1 through 3, or 1 through 11, and recognizing somebody in your life that has been. Uh, a model of Christ to you in this peaceful way? Take a few of these verses on peace this Christmas season and memorize them. When, when, When did we stop memorizing Scripture? It's such a great tool to memorize Scripture, right? See what God will do with them and how He will change you through that intentional act of hiding His Word in your heart, of injecting that small irritant into your brain so that when you criticize Martin Sheen, you say, oh, i got to pray for him. Right? So that you allow the Holy Spirit to be that, that sort of irritant that stops you in your tracks when you're being bitter or you're being angry or you're being anxious. And he says, give it all to the Lord. Like First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I guarantee that if you get into that practice, you, whenever you feel anxious, whenever you feel bitter or angry, and anything like that, it will make a difference. It will make a difference. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are here. We thank you for this story that we never would have written. We thank you for the peace of the gospel. We thank you that the waves of grace and of love are battering down those rocky cliffs of humanity. That although we stand on the beach and we look at the cliffs and say, oh, how are you ever going to get through that? Over time, you do. You wear us down. You change us. You you reform us. You remake us. And we pray that not only for ourselves and our church to live in the humility and the hope and the peace of your son, Christ, son, Jesus, We 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 pray that for our whole community and our country and our world. We think of France right now, just all of the riots going on, just all the just how many murders we've heard of in Philadelphia this, this week. Father, we need your peace. We need your hope. We need your humility in this country and in this world. We ask that it would come to us. It would be, we would be flooded with it. And that we, as your people, would be reflective of it in how we treat each other and treat the world, treat the people outside of this church, uh, treat our neighbors and our friends and our family and everybody else. We pray that you would convict us and help us to walk with you.